Welcome to the Go Lead Everything podcast. Do you aspire to become the best leader you can be? Then come along with me and GLE. Faith, love, integrity, courage. Four key values of great leaders all around the world. I'm Phil Swanson, and I'm on a mission to bring you leaders from all walks of life and arm you with the tools and mindset to lead effectively in whatever you are called to do. Are you ready? Because it's time to go lead everything. What up, what up? What's good, GLE Network? Phil Swanson here. Welcome to today's conversation. I'm so excited. We're going to talk all about leadership. Got an awesome guest for you. That's right. We're going to talk about what the office of a leader is and what it's all about. What are some good tips that you might find helpful as you go about your leadership journey? But before we get started, if you would do me a favor, go ahead, wherever you're listening, hit pause, go ahead and follow, subscribe, give us a comment. This is something I'm trying to get better at because I get so much value from so many podcasts, so many shows, and really giving back and, and helping their show grow so we can help more people just like it helped me. I'm really passionate about it, trying to be better at it myself. So if you would, if you give value from GLE, go ahead and share it out, give it a comment, like it, subscribe, rate it, whatever you got to do. And uh, your word of mouth really means so much to me to help the show grow. And it's going to help more people, which is what we're all about. So let's go ahead and get rolling. For today's conversation, we get to hear from the founder of Insido executive and leadership development. She is an executive leadership coach, facilitator, and speaker. She's also on the Forbes Coaches Council and one of the Canada's top 100 most powerful women. So pumped to speak with Jen Lofgren. Welcome to GLE, Jen. Thank you, Phil. It's so awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad we could do this. I'm so glad. I know you just uh, have all sorts of fun conversations with super amazing leaders at probably various levels in, in organizations. So I, I'm thrilled to get your insight on leadership. But before we get there, you know, you have a pretty cool story leading to the development and founding of Insido. So why don't we why don't we kind of do Jen Law from 101 and tell our audience who you are and, and how you got to be the executive coach that you are today. Oh well um Gosh, where to start in my story? Um, maybe I'll start with uh, you know when I was uh, when I was really young. I, uh, I was 15 and I was in high school and I I'm in Canada and we do French immersion here and I was in an upper level um, program at my high school at 15. I was a top student and all of a sudden I found myself in a really difficult situation. I uh, ended up living in a shelter for runaway youth, but I hadn't read run away. And I was just trying to go to school all of a sudden, instead of just trying to do trying to do well in school. And one of the most profound leadership experiences I've had in my life that stuck with me from that moment was I was taking an automotives class in high school because I was this top student. You had to take options. So I was taking drama and I was taking some other options. I'm like, oh, I'm in this high school that has the rare gift in my city to have automotives. Everybody needs to learn how to repair a car. Why don't I take an oppor opportunity to take advantage of that? And so I took automotives and I'm so glad I did because going through this hard time in my young life, 
I didn't really want people to know what was going on. And I was just barely making it to school. And I wrote a test one day in his class. And my instructor stops me on my way out, leaving the test. And he says, Jen, hold up a minute. And my initial reaction was, oh, now what? And he says, you're the first student to voluntarily pull out a book and start reading in my class. Whoa. Keep doing that. And after the test, I had handed in my test, gone back to my desk. We couldn't leave yet. Pulled out a book. I remember I was reading stories of Ray Bradbury. I even remember the book I was reading. And here is somebody that just took a moment to acknowledge me for something I was doing well. I had no idea the impact that he had at that mm. time in acknowledging my strengths and became someone I wanted to be proud of me and held me accountable at the times where I wasn't doing the right things in the next couple of years, but also always put a spotlight on my strengths so I could see them even when I didn't believe in myself, he did. So I want to start there because that was an inspiration that stayed with me all the way through. And through my life, I've been through a variety of different jobs and I ended up in an accidental career in information technology and spent 11 years designing and overseeing and leading implementation of international computer infrastructure and a variety of inter industries. Mm -hmm. And I got to a point in my career where I was looking at going into more senior leadership and I was struggling with, why don't I want that? What's, what am I really wrestling with? And I was feeling unfulfilled. And here I was newly married, and I would go home every day and my husband would say, how was your day? And I would say, mine was terrible. How was yours? And he would always say, great. It was awesome. It was the best day. Like, Damn it. I want some of that. And so with a lot of soul searching, I thought about what I really loved in my role. And it was partnering with the business on developing strategy, growing and developing team members. Uh, I was curious about you know, how to develop cohesive team cultures. And you know, I really was curious about this journey of leadership development that I was struggling with. And so I left my great paying career where I had choice of job opportunity being um, really great at what I did, but I stuck out like a sore thumb being a woman in the telecom industry. And I went back to school full time to get my HR designations with an interest in leadership culture and teams. And so I worked internally in an organization, doing that work for a few years after graduating and getting my HR designation. And then I realized that I really wanted to focus on specifically the leadership part of that. And the way to do that would be starting my own company and layering on professional coach training. 13 years ago, wow. start a business in a recession. Dang. In 2009. Wow. And I tell you, Anybody can start a business in a boom, but if you start a business in a recession, you will learn how to create a long-term sustainable business because you have to figure out how to run a business through all the ups and downs and cycles. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I get to do the wonderful work that I do today was right back to when I was 15 years old and that inspiration from wow. that automotives teacher. That's so cool, Jen. This is something that I think was one of the main drivers for me starting GLE was I, I had this wake up call one day on how impactful I was thinking back to leaders that I've had in my past that would, would say things to me, my mom, for example, you know, she, she would say things like, you know, you need to be whatever the people need you to be. And it kind of framed, you know, one little statement from my mom kind of framed my mindset so big. And I, I would have, other leaders that would give me opportunities that, that 
I never, I didn't think I was ready for, I didn't even dream that I would get those sorts of opportunities, especially at such a young age. And, you know, I think we sell ourselves short on how much, even, even a stranger, even somebody, you know, your, your teacher, right. Teachers have such a formative role to play in society. And, um, and you can see that today with, with just kind of some of the deterioration of our society, I think, sadly, but how did you decide that you were going to just leave it all? Cause I've been reading, I, I know I kind of talked in a circle there, but I've been reading a book lately. Um, it's called rocket fuel. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it talks about mm-hmm. sort of like two roles of a leader. And you really reminded me of it, Jen, when you talked about sort of like, you, you know, you liked your job, but, but there were aspects of it you liked more than others. So you wanted to focus on those. And, and this book talks a lot about like a visionary and an integrator. And oftentimes leaders end up being both just kind of by default. Um, and some companies, they need to have kind of separate roles. Does that resonate with you at all? Kind of a visionary role in leadership and an integrator role? Or what, I guess, what was it about that corporate sort of environment that you found yourself in before you branched out into coaching that, um, you know, you didn't exactly resonate with or was causing you that frustration? Well, I I think at first I was lost because I was in a role that I was really good at and Mm. I was having a lot of success in, but I was wrestling with this. So I'm having all this success. Why am I feeling kind of a rub or an incongruency or some kind of disconnect? And then my first reaction is what's wrong with me? I have all this success. I have opportunity. I have upward career pathway and what's going on that I'm not fulfilled with that. And so I started really thinking about what's going on for me. And here in looking back through my story, there were my strengths that had been recognized over and over and over in the past where I had pushed them away. I remember in one technology role when I was really early in my technology career, I was working help desk Mm. and for an internet company. And answer the phone for if you were to call up today and ask for help. I was one of those people that answered the phone. Mm-hmm. And I started getting recognized for my people skills and encouraged to go into client care. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to go to client care. I can prove I can do the technical thing. So I want to go over to internet security and the network side of thing. And I'm going to prove that I can go over there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, are you sure? And that's how I ended up with an accidental 11-year career on the technical side of things because I had the mind for it and I could navigate through it. But my real strength was in another area that had been uh, highlighted over and over for me along the way, but I kept putting it aside because I wanted to prove myself around this technology thing of I can do that and I'm going to take on that challenge. But I never thought why I wanted to and what was in it for me. And it was a lot Mm -hmm. of ego to prove that I was worthy Mm -hmm. rather than accepting what I already had. And so how I went on that journey and made that decision is it took me a couple of years to think about, well, what am I struggling with? And for a couple of years with the dot-com bust, I had been a consultant. I lost my job and I've been a consultant for a few years. Then I was back an employee again. So it's a consultant. No, it's not employee. It's not the organization. It's not my team. I love them. And then one day it occurred to me, what if I don't love the core of what I do? And then the question became, if not this, 
then what? What am I going to do? And so I started talking to a lot of people and started figuring out some of the things that I loved and what that might look like in a career. And someone pointed me towards an area of human resources that I didn't even know this was a career and a thing that people do. And that's what started leading me down this path. And the more I learned about it, the more I got excited about it. Sure. Until I made the decision one day of that's what I want to do. And oh, I'm going to quit my good paying job and go become a student for a couple of years and right. go do that. And I did. And you know what the hardest thing was, is it wasn't giving up mm-hmm. my, my job. It wasn't mm-hmm. going back to school. The thing that blindsided me that I didn't expect was for the first time since I was 15, I was suddenly financially dependent on someone else. Mm-hmm. That was something that really rocked my identity that snuck up out of nowhere. What do you mean by that? Financially dependent on someone else? I had no job and I was newly married mm-hmm. and I was struggling with the getting my brain around um, asking my husband for money. And he's like, you don't have to ask oh, for money. Wow. You just spend what you need. And I'm like, well, but you're the one earning it. And it's like, no, in our family, we're equal partners. doesn't matter where the revenue is coming from at any point in their lives. And I, it took me a bit to get my brain around that, that mm-hmm. no, we're, we're, that's what it means. We're a partnership. Mm-hmm. There was an identity shift that was, we, we can always, this is ones we can anticipate and mm-hmm. navigate and prepare ourselves for. But along the way in our careers and our lives, there's identity shifts that sneak out of nowhere that we don't see coming. And that's one that snuck up on me. Jen, tell me more about your identity as an entrepreneur and how, you know, how was that in your early days? Did you, I've heard a cool quote that resonated. uh, I resonated a lot with it from, uh, you know, my recent uh, branch into entrepreneurship. It's, you're going to feel brokenness before you break through. And I, I'm just curious, did you have a point in your early entrepreneur career where you, you felt <laughs> almost broken down to, to, and, and where was your breakthrough point? What was that like? You know, the first one that comes to mind in hearing you talk about that is four months into my business. At that point, it was just me. We're a team of 13 today, but it was just me and no team around me at that time. Four months in, I remember talking to uh, my, my husband and even a couple of friends and uh, I remember saying, I feel like a coffee socialite. I have lots of meetings. I have lots of com- uh, coffee. I have uh, lots of action and I have no business. I have no work. And I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. And, you know, it took a few more months and some opportunities started coming. And I, it was a recession. There was no work to be had anywhere. And here I am starting this new business in a reasonably new skill area for me at the time, wondering about my credibility, wondering if I'm on the right path. And then I talked to one person and they suggested I talk to this fellow Rick. And then somebody else says, oh, have you talked to Rick? And I'm like, oh, no, somebody else mentioned Rick's name in the last week. Mm-hmm. And so next thing you know, a week later, I have a meeting with this fellow Rick. And that was my first contract. Wow. And then Rick says, well, we aren't looking for someone, but now that we meet you, you know what? I'd like to hire you for five day a week contract. Yeah. And then this was my next breakthrough is I said, no, Ah, there you go. I'll give you two days because I'm trying to build a business. I'll give you two days and two days a week. I'm going to focus on building my business. And the other day a week I reserve for my family. Mm -hmm. 
So my daughter was very young at the time, but it was having some boundaries and willing to say no when I got offered more than I wanted to say, here's what I can do. And you know what he said? He said, yes. Wow. Super cool. So I love that lesson, Jen. Like you just shared some super big wisdom with the audience. Cause I, I think we just overlook again, the power of meeting people every single day that can literally like one new connection can change your life forever. And just like you, you had one connection, but it was actually their referral to somebody else that, that kind of was your first client. It sounds like, right. And like, uh, Grant Cardone, I don't know if you know Grant or follow any of his stuff. He's an interesting, uh, guy doing some things in real estate, very, uh, you know, kind of all over the social media world, but he, he was talking about how we raise our kids to not talk to strangers, which I thought was a kind of interesting perspective that he shared. And, and what he shared was he teaches his kids that strangers have everything you could ever want. And I thought that was just such interesting perspective because I was one that grew up, you know, don't talk to strangers, stay away from strangers, you know, don't take candy from strangers. I remember back on Ashcombe, Illinois, we lived in a town with 650 people playing football in the front yard with my brother and this truck came and stopped on the street. It was actually someone we knew, but we didn't know that at the time we were very young. And my brother and I just bolted back in the house screaming for our mom, like we, like we were taught to do. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I just thought that was so interesting that, that strangers have everything you could possibly ever want. And, um, you know, it's, it's totally like opposite perspective from, from the way I was raised. Did you, were you raised with that same mentality? You know, I wasn't, we moved a lot when I was a kid. So Mm -hmm. I had to really become adept at making new friends. I went to 13 schools by the time I finished high school, I had to really get to know people or I wouldn't have any community around me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you remind me about uh, some research done by Neil Grunewetter. He wrote a book called The Strength of Weak Ties. Mm -hmm. And he found in his research that the majority of opportunities that come to us come from people we hardly know. And in his research, weak ties were opportunities came through someone that was a second connection. In other words, someone that we know introduces us to someone else and that that's where the majority of opportunities come from is from people that we hardly know because the people we know closely Mm -hmm. they know the same people we do we're on the same bubble together right we think a lot alike Mm -hmm. so when we get exposed to some outside thinking Mm -hmm. we get new ideas because it melds with what we already know but we're exposed to new people, new thinking, some Mm -hmm. collision of ideas, and all of a sudden out pops an opportunity, just like my story about Rick. All of a sudden in the same week, after four or five months, two people think about introducing me to the same person that wasn't looking for anyone until we had a coffee, got talking, and his first comment was, you know what, I don't have anything, but because two people I trust suggested I meet with you, I'm like, I got to meet this person. And now that we're talking, you're getting me thinking about this idea. And I think could use someone like you. Wow. So cool. I'm also reminded of, uh, of in the Bible, when it talks about a prophet not being welcome in their own town. And I think there's something to kind of, you know, people, when you're, when you're framing an identity, especially a new one, like branched out as an entrepreneur, the people in your circle, right. They, they have you framed in 
an old identity. And so branching out to new people, I think also kind of enables you to embrace that, that new identity without, you know, kind of the whole crab bucket sort of thing where, you know, one crab tries to, to climb out and, and, and you're constantly, you know, being pulled back into that old sort of identity that, that you lived before. Did you go through that at all? You know, I've been through that a couple of times. I went through that in high school. I was, because of my challenges, I had a group of friends that by the time I graduated high school, they were, they were the wrong crowd and they were going Uh nowhere. And I remember looking around at my friends going, I don't think this is who I want to be like. And when I graduated, I left all my friends behind. Mm -hmm. I don't have any friends from high school. And that was intentional Mm because they weren't the people that I aspired to be like. And I intentionally went to go and spend time uh, with people that I wanted to be like, to learn Mm -hmm. from them, to be in community with them and to start looking at um, who I really wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And then later on with my IT career, you know, figuring out again, who do I want to be like? And I stayed in touch with a few people from that career, but I was really growing a new identity and leaving that one behind. And so I, I shed that identity in a, a healthier and different way the next time. Mm-hmm. And then I took on the identity of, of being an entrepreneur but also in my personal life, I've taken on the identity of being a mom and a, a community leader in the boards mm-hmm. that I serve on, uh, a spouse. I mean, I've been through a lot of identity changes and the growth that's gone with each and every single one of them. If you're listening right now, you're probably thinking, Phil, you lied to us. You told us we were talking about leadership. What have we been talking about? But I promise there's a point here and I, I want to focus on identity, but before I do, if you're not following Jen, go follow her J E N N Lofgren, just like it sounds L O F G R E N. She's on LinkedIn. You can find her website in Saito I N C I T O dot C A and go check her out. Give her a follow. She's doing great stuff. She posts great content, but Jen, I want to ask you, and the reason I, I've kind of focused some of these questions, how do you see identity playing a part in, in formation as a leader? Because I think this is really big and I just want your perspective for our audience. I'll give you a quote from uh, Brene Brown that really stands out for me about identity. And she says in her book, Braving the Wilderness and talking about belonging, she says, in order to truly belong, you have to be willing to stand alone. So if you think about that, from a leadership perspective, if I want to hustle and fit in, I can't be seen as a leader. I can only be truly accepted. If I want to truly belong, I have to be accepted for who I am. And in order for that to happen, I have to be willing to stand out and be different and take risk and to not fit in so that I can be truly accepted for what I stand for, what my values are, my, what my vision and my ideas are, and my identity, not trying to be like anybody else. And I think that's one of the hardest journeys as a leader to embrace that risk and that discomfort. It's not even getting more comfortable. It's embracing and accepting the discomfort that not everybody's going to like me. Not everybody's going to follow me. Not everybody's going to believe in what I believe. Mm-hmm. And that that's truly okay because the people that I want to connect with will 
support and believe and embrace me for who I am. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I'm resembling it right now, Jen. <laughs> it's resonating so much with me. <laughs> like you, you wouldn't even believe. I, I think people, if, if you go, if you're just going with the flow, right, you, you have, you may run into problems and challenges, but when you really start branching out and, and exposing who you truly are, you start maybe realizing how much you've kind of perhaps lied to yourself. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. It might not be, but you know, I think, I think we try to fit in and, and maybe accommodate or maybe be a certain way that we think the other people around us are going to like. And then, you know, when we kind of start embracing our identity and being more bold with who we are and we, people don't tend to like it as much, or at least some of the people that, you know, we thought were friends or, or supportive in the past, you know, maybe, maybe we start to feel resistance from those people when, when we're behaving a little differently, you know, that, that's something that can just really be challenging. What, what advice would you give, you know, as, as young leaders are, are just maybe stepping up into a role maybe dealing with insecurity because they're, they are young, they're, they're, uh, you know, not, not necessarily, uh, um, have a, the experience that maybe others have in leadership roles. What, what would you say if, if they're dealing with some of that, trying to kind of form their identity as a leader? Uh, you know, I think there's, there's a couple of things. And the first one is your strengths have led you to where you are at this point. You've done everything that you're meant to do to get where you are right now. And you, you might need to use your strengths in a little bit different way, stepping into a little bit more risk with them and a little bit more vulnerability with those same strengths to get to where you're meant to go in the future. And it's so easy to go to self-criticism and to judge that what you've been doing to this point has been wrong. I want you to know that you've been using your strengths to get you to where you are because you've been successful to this point. Mm -hmm. To use an overused um, term that's been quoted many times, what got you here won't get you there, but right. it got you here. Just right. need to shift how you use your strengths in a little bit different way to mm -hmm. get you to what's next and how I want you to shift them is to take a little bit more risk, to risk not being liked or to risk being embarrassed and being shown up that you were wrong on something and not be right or to risk being a little bit less perfect or not winning for the sake of getting to more of what you want. But mm -hmm. it's scary because these are the things that have got you to where you are. Right? right? Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of the opposite. And you might sure. say, well, Jen, I just got to get a little bit more comfortable with the uncomfortable of that. And no, it's actually accepting that it will be uncomfortable. And the more you step into the leadership areas, it's about embracing discomfort, not getting comfortable with uncomfortable, acknowledging that it's meant to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. and taking a little bit more risk. There's so many senior leaders I've talked to, they're like, I just wish some of my direct reports would take a little bit more risk with me and push all back or have an opinion or share some new ideas. Mm -hmm. And they all agree with me and I don't want them to agree with me. How do I make it safer for them to take <laughs> right. risks? Yeah. Sometimes you can't, they just, because you can't make them comfortable because so, something that they care about, you want to develop them to step into risk. Yeah. I, I love that. I'm let's focus on that. Cause I think this is one I know that you know, as a leader in, in the organizations that I lead, I, I struggle with it a bit and I'm sure other leaders do too. I, like kind of the incentivization 
if that's even a word, incentivized, how you incentivize people in your organization to do those good behaviors. You mentioned that your teacher saw you reading and, you know, pointed out that good behavior and reinforced it and said, Hey, keep that is good stuff. Keep doing that. Right. Like I, I almost feel like leaders, like the one you may be referring to, and, and I, I don't know this individual or, or anything about the situation, so I could be totally wrong, but you know, it sounds like they want to incentivize one thing, but something they're doing, some behavior they're doing or environment they're creating, they're actually incentivizing different behavior. And, you know, I, I think this is probably a common thing. What, how do you coach leaders on, on bringing consistency and how they actually incentivize behaviors in their organization? First is they're often not clear on the behaviors they want to incentivize. Hmm. Talk about the outcomes, but really stepping back and looking at, well, what are the behaviors that are going to be important to get to those outcomes? And then how are you making room for those behaviors? Why do you think they might not be clear on the behaviors? Do you think they, there's like maybe, um, I don't know a double-mindedness sometimes where they, they say they want one behavior, but truly they, they want this other behavior too. And, and they're in conflict. There's, there's some of that going on. I think there's, there's that there's uh, some values versus ideals is what you're talking about there. How I would articulate yeah. that, but then there's also the pressure to produce and perform. And that right. leader is also struggling with their you know, wanting to be liked, wanting to be right, or wanting to be in control to meet the expectations that are, they feel are upon them. So right. that can get in the way. And then there's the, what I think I really want um, and what I'm willing to sacrifice for. And values are about something that you're willing to sacrifice to have today. And ideals are something that you want to have in the future, but you're not willing to make a sacrifice in order to have it today. Mm. So thinking about the behaviors you really want from your team, there's the ones that sound really good, but are you really willing to make a sacrifice to have them? And then there's the behaviors that you'll settle for that have no sacrifice that don't necessarily get you to the outcome that you want. And so mm -hmm. stepping back and really thinking that through is where do you really want to be? And I'm often talking to leaders about what do you want to be different a year from now? Mm -hmm. Okay. So now let's look at the values and the behaviors that will really get you there and what's right. happening today, what's already, what's happening and what might need to shift to get you more of what you want. And as a leader, what's your role in getting that? not just waiting for your boss or your direct reports or someone else to own their part. What are you going to change? Cause you can only control you. Mm -hmm. What are you willing to change? And it might have to start with changing your attitude and thinking about something. Mm -hmm. And that might be about what you're willing to risk and sacrifice in order to get the behavior you want. That is awesome, Jen. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. The, the behavioral, habits that we either accidentally develop or deliberately practice every day, formulate our mindset, and we will attract what we're putting out into the world. And I, I think it's very easy to point outward and say, you know, why aren't these people acting a certain way, as opposed to saying, how can I change who I am to attract the types of people and behaviors that are, are I want to attract because I, I almost think 
there's like a helpless sort of mindset that I see in people sometimes where they feel like, oh, you know, these people are, are doing this to me. And what they don't realize is if, if they actually took ownership of, of leading themselves, they would start seeing different results in the people around them. Am I way off there? Or what are your thoughts? on uh, that? No, I'm just so being patient and not wanting to interrupt you because I'm like, yes, yes, yes. You're describing something that comes from David Emerald that's called the empowerment dynamic. Mm-hmm. And Stephen, Co- uh, Stephen Kaufman in the 1970s identified something called the drama triangle. And then David Emerald looked at what's the opposite of the drama triangle. It's the empowerment dynamic. And so the drama triangle is that woe is me and things are happening to me. Uh, circumstances like COVID or economy or whatever right. it is that's happening in our world around us, those things are happening to me and I'm powerless. Woe is me. Or somebody's doing something, my direct report isn't performing, or they don't trust me, or they're not this, or my boss, or my coworker. That's all the drama triangle is I'm a victim, Mm -hmm. what that role is called, but I can only be a victim if the other two roles are present. Mm -hmm. Circumstances, the person doing something to me Mm -hmm. is a persecutor, and I go and I find a rescuer. Sometimes I rescue myself through... uh, unhealthy behaviors sometimes it's drinking sometimes it's uh, binge watching too much of (laughs) fill in the blank tv show or games or (laughs) overeating or anything else so we need a persecutor a rescuer and that allows us to be the victim but the opposite of victim in that helpless mindset is then going to what's called the creator mindset in the empowerment dynamic shifting your thinking to i'm not helpless I may not be able to choose what comes my way. I get to choose what I do with my circumstances. What's my part? I'm focusing on not the problem I want to get rid of, but okay, Mm -hmm. I have this problem. How does that point to what I want in the future? And what's my role in taking a first step? And when we stop being the victim, then we take the power out of our circumstances and it no longer is a persecutor, but a challenger to be there to help us learn something about ourselves. Yes. And we start using others in our life or even ourselves to be a coach instead of a rescuer mm-hmm. to again help push us in our development and our learning to get more of what we want. Mm-hmm. I love that. Absolutely love that. I've been I've been trying to take more ownership in some situations in my life, Jen. And and, and it came from taking a personality test where I realized I'm very high in agreeableness and politeness. And I it's almost I think been a fault where I can almost harbor resentment at times because I don't say what I'm actually thinking. And so, um, you know, I end up holding a lot of stuff in that I want to say, but I I don't necessarily always say it when I should say it. And then it builds up as resentment and comes out as some passive aggressive, sarcastic comment or, you know, something later on. Right. And, you know, I think what you just described about leaders and that helpless sort of feeling when, when you make a decision to tolerate behaviors around you, right? Like, like you can, you're not helpless and you're so not helpless that if you don't tolerate behaviors around you, they will stop. 
like period. Now you might not like that. And, and, and if you think about not tolerating them, you might decide, eh, maybe those behaviors aren't so bad. Maybe I can tolerate them a little bit, or maybe I'm grateful for them. Maybe I actually end up finding a way to be, be great. Like for that situation happening to me, maybe it's actually helping me grow and become better in an area of my life. You know, maybe it's going to change my perspective, but I just had like several folks help me see that recently where, you know, you're so empowered to choose what you tolerate around you and, and actually not allow things to happen to you that you don't like by just simply not putting up with them. And it, you know, you you might take people off, but it's, it's wild that change and how much that could drastically change. Have you ever seen that in your life or, or any of your experience coaching? All the time. And we call those choice points, recognizing those moments and not letting them just wash by and being on autopilot and default and reacting to things, Yeah. but recognizing those moments. And you said, decide, I use the word choice. You you get to choose. And I'm often challenging clients. They're like, well, I I have no choice. Um, And I'll challenge them. Well, sure you do. There's just consequences to the choice and the other choice, whatever it is, may have, um, more difficult consequences to the one that you're currently choosing. But by not choosing, you're choosing the status quo. Mm-hmm. But when you give yourself the power of, oh, at any time I could choose something else, you can then decide why you're choosing the status quo and choose it out of a place of empowerment rather than default. It puts you in the leadership seat. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the work that I do is about recognizing those choice points and stepping into the creator role or that leadership role is about embracing the risk of what's on the other side of that choice, right? Whatever that choice is. And every choice has a benefit and a risk or a consequence to it. It's about which set of benefits and consequences you want to choose. And there's no right answer other than the right answer for you. I love it, Jen. I absolutely love it. I'm going to take a chance and try to say this tongue twist you gave me, but I love the name (laughs) of your company Insighto which is the word from Greek? Latin. It's Latin for insight, excite, and inspire. Nailed it. Awesome. That's a super cool name of your company. Tell us more about Insido and what you all do in your coaching. Thank you. Yeah, at Insido, we are a team of executive and team coaches, and we work one-on-one with leaders to help them work through the journey of that. We were just talking about that mindset of leadership and shifting from that reactive uh, to that creative and strategic mindset and move into being more empowered in the choices that you're making every day so that you can create more of the strategic outcome you want for your organization, but even more that you can develop those that are coming behind you and coach and mentor and develop them to become the next leader behind you. It's Mm -hmm. even better than the leader you are today. So that's what we get to do with leaders and leadership teams. And we work with clients all over North America and uh, 13 years in, and I get to choose to do something different anytime I stop loving what I'm doing. And 13 years in, I couldn't choose a better path to be on. Absolutely love it, Jen. Super cool. I, I love the work you're doing. I love the content you're posting. I think you're, leadership is so needed in our world and you see it going on with, with all the things happening in the world, how, how important it is to have strong leaders who are willing to step up 
and maybe make the unpopular decision for the right reasons, for the right outcomes. And, um, you know, it's tough to step out and, and be on your own. And when I started GLE, Jen, I was really trying to inspire. I was trying to learn myself one and, and, you know, super cool that we can talk and I can almost get a private coaching session from Jen Lofgren on, on my podcast, which is, you know, my own selfish benefit, but, you know, I want to inspire and empower leaders to stand for truth and have the courage to do so when it's tough. Cause it's not easy to do. And, um, when I, when I started, I had the perspective that how cool would it be if years from now you could see, you know, your great grandkids or, or, uh, you know, my great grandkids could see great uncle Phil and great aunt Jen, you know, having a conversation like, like that would be so cool. And you never know who's going to listen to this today and end up changing the world or, or, you know, maybe you'll inspire somebody to totally change their path, you know, choose different behaviors with, with that perspective in mind, thinking that, you know, who knows how many thousands of people might see this, you know, millions of people might see this down the road. What would you want to share with someone today and, and someone, you know, hundreds of years from now? Maybe I'll go back to where we started. And that's to shine a little light on someone's strength, take a risk and acknowledge them for something that they're doing right. And that will have a ripple effect for many years into their future. My story with my teacher was 30 years ago. And I remember it like the day it happened. So amazing. So amazing. I love it, Jen. Thank you so much for coming on. Y'all, if you're not following Jen Lofgren, go follow her. LinkedIn, uh, insito.ca is her website. You can find her. Her team's doing some amazing things. If you're listening right now, go rewind this. If you're a leader, you need to hear this, this stuff. You need to figure out your identity. Go create your ripple in the world. And it can start with the smallest word anytime, any day to anybody you may encounter. So Jen, appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom with the GLE network. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. All right, y'all. Y'all have a great day. Go lead everything. If you think someone would benefit from hearing this episode or any of this content, please share it and send them over to goleadeverything.com to learn more. It has been amazing to hear about all the individuals who listen to and are getting value from the content here at GLE. Thank you for your support. You are the reason we do what we do. See you next time. Go lead.